Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. This is episode one of a three-part series with Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness, which is all about aligning sales and marketing to drive revenue. Now, we have three free copies of Jeff's book to give away, and we're going to tell you how to get them at the end of the last episode in this three-part series. Jeff is also the host of the Alignment Podcast, which I've been binge listening to. It's a great show. So if you're interested in alignment, you've got to listen to his show. Jeff, welcome to the B2B Legion Podcast. Eric, Eric, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to, to have a good conversation. Yeah, I, I, I devoured your book. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I loved it. And um, thank so you. Let's start, thank you very much. Let's start, let's start with the age-old scenario, okay? So marketing, you know, is high-fiving. You know, they, they generated what they think are these killer leads, and they've exceeded their, uh, their quota, the number of leads they were supposed to generate, and they're off at the bar celebrating. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, sales can't close a single frickin' one of them. You know, they're looking at the weeds. They're saying these are these are these are crap. I can't close a single. I can't close a single thing. Uh, why is this scenario so frequent? Why does it happen? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I like to I like to stop the finger pointing and saying that it's anybody's fault because really people or people do what they're incentivized to do. And the problem that we're seeing why this happens so often, and and I've I've heard it repeatedly. I've worked with clients that go through the same thing is that sales and marketing are incentivized to do different things, right? And so the scenario that you just played out with marketing, they're probably being incentivized on the volume of marketing qualified leads. So if my target volume is you know, 10,000 leads and I hit that, great. I've done what you've asked me to do as an organization, so I've achieved and accomplished my goal. However, if there's no quality uh, incentive there and there's no quality definition of what those have to be for sales, then there's a mismatch in the way that we interact. And so stereotypically, uh, it's just a lack of the right incentives and aligned incentive that causes that age-old uh, finger-pointing, I have a, you know, a thousand leads, my leads are garbage and sales doesn't want them, uh, and we go back and forth and finger-point. That's why. So, so what, what is alignment strategy? Yeah, so alignment strategy really is simply looking at sales and marketing as a part of a revenue-generating system that work together in order to achieve optimal outcomes, which is at the end of the day, converting the modern B2B buyer to a customer. Historically, we have looked at these as two separate functions and two separate departments, but we haven't really looked at them as the revenue generating arm of the company. And I think when you look at them in that way, you start to make decisions that are best for the collective and not just, not just the individual. And when you make decisions that are primarily based on what the individual function needs, you are very clear on the impact that it has on the other function because you understand that they are completely interdependent. Have you heard of this idea of performance-based marketing where marketing is basically being measured against you know, what, they're, what they deliver, specific deliverables against revenue? Sure. Uh, and I think that we have to be careful, right, too, because although we want marketing to become more data-driven and more performance-driven, we also want to create, keep that creative um, and experiment, uh, experimental 
uh, culture. You know, one of the things that, that marketers love and, and when it's done right really leads to really potentially groundbreaking uh, finds is that they experiment a lot. And when you do that in an environment that rewards experimentation, but also it's focused on performance and making sure they're, they're contributing the pipeline, that's really the optimal mix. Uh, I advocate strongly that I never want salespeople to be marketers and I never want marketers to be salespeople. Uh, I think that, you know, there are two different ways of looking at how we go to market and that we should we should celebrate both, but really get to the root and understand how each of them can be leveraged to help the other one achieve their goals. So, so this concept of alignment as a strategy, is it defensible? I mean, can it be a competitive advantage? And if so, how? Yeah, so it's absolutely a competitive advantage. And I think that um, I, I talk about it in the book that, you know, we have got to get senior leadership and CEOs to understand that sales marketing alignment is not about sales marketing get a, getting along, but it is, it is literally taking a strategic uh, approach to, to aligning these two teams that you can then turn into a strategic advantage. Uh, and because of that, it should be really at the top of your business priorities and your business imperatives because you cannot recreate alignment overnight. And what we're finding that with the modern buyer and the way that they have changed, uh, and we'll probably go into it a little bit deeper in our conversation, what it takes to satisfy the needs, wants, desires of the modern buyer cannot be done by sales or marketing alone in the silo. It is just impossible. They are demanding a more B2C-like experience. They are demanding you to be seamless. They're demanding you to come to the, to, to the table with value right out of the gate. And that can only be done when sales and marketing understand how to orchestrate their interactions with the buyer in a way that helps them make a decision. And so if you're able to take the time and do the work to, to align your teams, we have multitudes of, of data and, and information that tell us that you are going to outperform your competitors. And the reality of things is you cannot copy aligning sales and marketing overnight. It's just, it's just not possible. So if you are a leader in the organization and you do this work and you do it now, trust and believe when your competitors get it, uh, you, have, you have a gap before they'll be able to get close to what you've achieved. You know, I, I, it, I think about um, the legend of John Henry. Remember John Henry, the hammer-swinging folk hero? Mm-hmm. He, uh, so his physical strength was tested in a race against a steam-powered drilling machine. Right, and he 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 uh, he won the race, only to die hammer in hand. Right, his stubborn small-mindedness killed him. The same type of resistance and short-range thinking that hampers growth in organizations. And and then I think about like, um, you know, how Amazon and Alibaba are pushing into B two B, pushing into B two B e commerce. And I think about you know small to medium size, or at least companies smaller than those types of tech giants that don't have the same resources trying to put up these tech stacks to compete against, you know, the likes of Amazon, the likes of Alibaba, uh, the likes of Apple. Um, you know, is it really defensible in the, in the long term to be able to stand up some sort of stack that can compete against the likes of Amazon? Well, I think that we have to make sure that we're focusing on the right thing. Uh, and, I, and I love your, your analogy there because I do feel that sales and marketing people are working harder than ever before. I see these teams that are literally like they are in the trenches trying to get it done and not seeing the results they want to. And that's extremely frustrating. And, and I think what we have to understand is that 
to what you alluded to, we cannot continue to operate and do the things that we did three to five years ago because the economy has changed. The B2B, the, the future of B2B is different. And so if you continue to, to hammer the nail over and over again, yeah, you're going to have activity, but you literally are killing your productivity. And so we have to step back for two seconds and start to be strategic about the decisions that we make. We can't continue just to push volume and push volume and push volume because while you're doing that and, and seemingly making strides, your competitors that are strategic and smart and, and very thoughtful about where they spend their time and energy really at the end of the day are, are going to outpace you uh, and do it in a more productive and a more efficient way. Talk to us a little bit about alignment for sort of growth-oriented smaller companies versus market leaders, and and how would the market leader and the smaller company um, implement a different alignment strategy, or, or would they not? Would, would they basically both do it the same way? Yeah, I think that for a small organization, maybe an SMB, alignment is even more important. Uh, I actually do uh, I actually do a workshop with uh, SMBs that really translates the strategies. Uh, that I talk about in the book for, you know, mid to, to enterprise level companies. And really because you have a smaller team, you have to do more stuff with limited resources. And so it becomes even more important that you make sure that everything that you're doing is aligned to a central vision, to a central, uh, central mission, a central vision for where you're going to go, and that you basically cut the fat of doing activities that somebody told you that you should be doing but aren't aligned with your audience or where you're trying to go. A case in point, I run into this a lot of times where people will be on uh, every single social social media platform. Uh, it's the I love this one, and I, and then you ask them, you know, who are your people? Who's your what's your ICP? What's your ideal customer? And then are they on all of these platforms? And if not, you are you you are wasting time and energy when you could focus on a core set, maybe two to three, and do them really 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 well. Uh, if, instead of doing six, seven, eight, nine, ten, mediocre. Uh, and wasting time. I think also, too, when you look at the differences in implementation of an alignment strategy between an SMB and a large enterprise, uh, while the I think the, the strategy is the same, the way they go about doing that is differently because you have more people involved in the mix. Uh, and so when you look at larger organizations, it's much, uh, it becomes even more important to make sure you're crystal clear on the vision and making sure that people feel connected to and that their work is connected to the overall goal of the organization. And you also want to create a lot more empathy between the two groups. In a small organization, people actually have relationships. It's easier. They're, they're, they may be a desk apart or they you know, all sit in the same room. When you blow that up into a large organization, it's harder to, to have that connectivity. And one of the central themes of, of my work is that you know, processes and data and, and tech is all great. But one of the reasons that we haven't resolved the, the, the dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing is the people part. Salespeople don't know what marketers do. Marketers don't know what salespeople do. And so in a larger organization, it's, it becomes even more important to make sure that you're uh, establishing that empathy between groups and that they understand how their work impa- impacts their colleagues. We're talking to Jeff Davis, author of the new revelatory book, Create Togetherness. Stay with us. Boys will be boys. Well, she was drunk. Well, he, he was drunk. She was asking for it. He warned her. Not my problem. Why doesn't she just leave? But he's such a nice guy. He said he was sorry. We don't talk about that. It's just the way people are. We're never going to fix it. No more excuses. No more silence. No more violence. It's time to end domestic violence and sexual assault once and for all. We're talking to Jeff Davis 
author of the new book, Create Togetherness. Jeff, what about mature organizations? Organizations that are looking to maybe lower customer acquisition costs and increase profitability by essentially cutting back on services and support. Is alignment a growth strategy or can it work for them too? I, I think it definitely can work for them. A lot of what I illuminate in the book is that we uh, misalignment is really cancerous to an organization. Uh, many times it will eat at the core of the business, and then you won't feel it until it's too late, or and then you start to have to make huge structural changes uh, and pivots really quickly. And so what we have to understand is that you have to step back and say, are we being as productive as possible? I mean, the stats right now show us that, you know, the InsideSales.com has some data that looks at says 36.6% uh, of salespeople's time is actually spent on selling. The rest is, you know, prospecting, administrative tasks, other things that aren't what I call revenue-generating activities, and that uh, I think upwards of 80%, and some studies show it even higher, of marketing-generated leads go ignored by sales. So while you think you may be making progress in your silo, when you step back and look at the entire revenue funnel, you actually have a huge amount of time and resources that are wasted. And so for larger organizations, I absolutely uh, think this is in imperative that they start to look at this alignment issue because it really allows you to increase productivity and do it in a way where you don't have to bring on a massive amount of, of new resources that actually will, um, will be detrimental to your ability to, to generate uh, revenue. Now, now, you write in, in the book that one of the things marketing can offer sales are uh, customer and buyer insights, and you say sales can offer marketing voice of, of customer feedback and competitive intelligence. What's the difference between customer insights and customer feedback? Yeah, so customer insights is it's really about looking at the, the data that you have about your customer interactions. And so what I argue in the book is that most B2B companies, uh, if not all B2B companies, are sitting on a gold mine of data. Uh, but the problem that, that we have is that we're, we're not really good, uh, or most organizations aren't really good at turning those into insights. We have these reports, we look at them, we may look at trends, but we don't really do the, the due diligence to dig into that and pull out business insights that inform the way that we go about the business. And so that really is where we get those customer insights. Customer feedback, I have always argued this, even when I was a marketer, is that, yes, we obviously get reports uh, on macro-level trends, but the person that can give us real-time real feedback of what the customer is saying is no one's better positioned for that than the, than the salespeople. And I actually mean the salespeople on the phone, in the field. They hear what customers are saying. And so if marketers aren't um, tapping into that resource, I mean, it literally is free market research, uh, timely um, you know, obviously you need to have some more conversations to understand how that, that applies to your business, but not listening to sales and what they're hearing in the field, I think is a huge missed opportunity. And so that's the difference, really. The customer insights is coming from the data uh, and the inter interactions we're having with customers to understand, you know, who our customer is, what are they like, how do they buy, all those things to help us inform us how we should be interacting with new buyers, new target buyers. And then that customer feedback is that voice of the customer, what the customer is actually saying to us. And many times those nuances help us understand how our solution is perceived in the market, what changes we should be having. And so I think both are very, very valuable. And then, and then also talk to us about the difference between buyer uh, insights and competitive intelligence. Yeah, so buyer insights, again, is that, that feedback that we are getting from our interactions. I think, you know, one of the, the three pillars, which I know we'll get to later as well, uh, is communication. And that's because we need to always be positioning ourselves to learn. 
continuously learning, you know, what went right, what went wrong. I mean, it's simple as going through and doing win-loss win analysis together across sales and marketing to understand why we lost that deal. Uh, and then, you know, competitive intelligence is really, a lot of times, really attributed to the market. What is changing in the marketplace? Um, and I think that if we get too focused solely on our customer without the context and the backdrop of what they're going through and what's happening in the market, there may be a missed opportunity. We may be so myopic that we miss something. And so, again, important that we understand and have a laser focus on who we're serving, but also understanding the context and the environment in which they exist, because if that has a major shift, it obviously is going to impact our customer, and we want to be proactive in understanding and hopefully bringing to the table of like how we see that change in the marketplace impacting the business and how we can help them react to that. What about customer success? What do they bring to the party? Customer success, I mean, they bring a lot to the party. I think the biggest thing that they help if you, if you set it up right is churn. One of the, the, the things that a lot of organizations are starting to now understand is that they have completely not looked at churn. And so we've been so focused on top of funnel, getting new deals, getting uh, new logos, which is great. But if they don't stay customers and they don't stay loyal to the product, we are, it's almost like continuing trying to feel a leaky bucket, right? Like you've got you know, all of these deals that, are, that are, you're not renewing after a year, all these customers that are leaving. And so customer success really allows us to pull through what marketing sales has done, but they also are a critical part of the customer experience because we now know that customer experience is one of the most important factors in why uh, the modern B2B buyer buys. Uh, actually, uh, data shows us that 86% of B2B buyers will actually pay more for a really great customer experience or a buying experience. And if they get, we get them all jazzed up and they buy and they're excited and they have these high expectations but we don't come through, that not only is a missed opportunity for them to move, but that can get out into the marketplace and really affect your reputation. Um, so I always kind of look at the customer success organization as like the, the ambassadors of you know, renewals and, and, and turning people into loyalists and that sort of thing. And so the role is, is really key in making sure that we cool through what we've promised on. This has been part one of a three-part interview series with Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.